Before I begin, I want to make sure that we, I preface it like I always do, the Word of God. I truly believe that God is the one who speaks to your hearts. I know that to be true. He said His Word is powerful, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. So my only prayer for you today is that your hearts are ready to receive the Word of God. Even Jesus talks about there's times when there's seeds that are thrown, but it lands on hard places. So my prayer is that you don't have a hard place right now that you're not ready to receive the Word of God. I don't know what your week is like. I don't know what you've been through this week. I don't know what grieving you have done. And if it was anything like last week when we talked about grieving, don't forget that this is a series, right? So even if we talked about being able to weep, there is a momentum shift that we trust God to heal us, whether it's through forgiveness, whether it's through pain, and whether it's through somebody working in your life and healing and talking about therapy and counseling. That is also you can, God can bring you back together. So even though we're talking about grieving, don't think God doesn't have a purpose for reconciliation or peace, which we're going to talk about today. Do you mind if we pray together? God, we love you today. We thank you because you are God all by yourself. Like there, there's nothing else that sustains you, but for some reason you allow us the privilege to hear from you. So my prayer is that when we hear your word today, our hearts are soft enough to receive, but also we feel privileged that you still want to talk to a person who sinned all week. Like, it's the fact that you know our sin, but yet still choose to talk to us is a blessing in itself. So I pray that we don't think we're doing you any favors today, that I'm doing you a favor. The fact that you want to use somebody like Pierre Kennings is a privilege. I thank you that you allow me to be that vessel but I know that your word going forth is powerful than my word could ever do. So God, remove me from the picture that all they can see is you, that we paint a beautiful picture of who you are and the representation of which you want us to have on this earth through your word. God, we love you today. We're so thankful for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Really quickly, I just want to make sure I honor my wife. It's, it's been 20 years, y'all. Amen. Now, let me clarify, 20 years of dating, we are going to be 15 years married July 15th. I'm excited about that. Yeah, we, she, um, one mistake, she put some pictures on Facebook. I challenge nobody to go look. <laughs> Chill. Um, I, nobody told me my glasses looked that bad back in the day. It was rough. It's rough. I, I, I thank God for blinding my wife that she ever thought I was attractive. That is a blessing in itself. That's what happens when you find the wife of your youth. You can't change now. It's over. But we're 20 years together now. So we, we decided to go on a date. Now, in order to go on a date, you got to do a couple things. And one of those things is you got to leave those beautiful kids behind. Yeah, you have to. Now, some people struggle with that. I don't. I don't struggle at all. I, 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 am, I am very happy and relieved, even though I love them dearly. I miss them even on the trip itself. And sometimes me and my wife even get distracted and start talking about the kids while we're on our date. I know y'all have all experienced this if you've been on a date without your kids. Sometimes they bleed through your conversation. You live for them every single day. That makes sense. If you're single, you don't have this issue of finding babysitters, etc. But if you are married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's not until you leave them behind do you get a chance to have relational intimacy. 
When Jesus said, I'm going to leave y'all behind, he gave us a chance for relational intimacy. He connected us with the Holy Spirit. He said, if I leave, I will leave something behind, but you got to want what I'm leaving. And you can't experience this intimacy. You can't go to Uchi and spend money when you get one little small piece of sushi. You can't experience that intimacy. I'm still bitter about that bill. And you can't experience that if you don't experience the Holy Spirit. And I want you today to understand that some of us have been grieving. Some of us have went through pain. Some of us have went through relational issues, but yet you don't have peace. And we keep blaming people for our peace. We keep saying things like, oh, if I can only get this back. And God's like, oh, I was never banking on your world being without problems before you had peace. I was never banking. I was banking on your intimacy. So today when we dive into John chapter 14, I want you to know today's your date night. I want you to go out with the Holy Spirit. I want you to experience this, but it's not just the Holy Spirit. I want you to experience what Jesus said and how when he left them, how they should feel. So if you have lost somebody today, if somebody has left you today, if somebody has made you feel like, like there's a big gap in your life, and you're like, I can never get over this, God is saying, I want you to know how to handle that. So today, if you don't mind, I, I don't mind you grieving, but at the same time, you got to progress. you got to move forward. How do you move forward? And Jesus gives us the direct steps on how to. If you don't believe me, they were very troubled. The disciples, think about this, had walked with Jesus for almost what? Three years. But not just walking like, hey, I'm going to see you next weekend. We're talking about daily walk. They've seen him love. They've seen him take care of us. They've seen him cherish. He has fed them. He has walked with them. He has saw them at their worst and got them to their best. They don't want their provider to leave. So now he's saying, hey, guys, I'm fixing to leave. If you just don't mind, really quick, in John chapter 14, I'll get to our pericope in a second. I'll get to our subject in a second in verse 27. But before I get there, let me at least read some verses to let you know how troubled they were. Watch this. Verse 30, 37 of chapter 13 says, But Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter trying to follow him. Then you go, then he says right here in verse 1 of chapter 14, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. So he's starting to tell him, I already know y'all starting to get troubled. Verse 5 of chapter 14, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Then Jesus answers that question. Then you got Philip in verse 8. He says, Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father. Is it not enough for us? And he keeps going on and on. Disciples are like, hey, I don't want you to leave. I'm going to say something to you before we even get into the first point. Some of us are begging people to stay. Some of us have lost loved ones that we wanted to stay. And I don't blame you. Who would ever want to lose somebody you love? But then Jesus says, even if you've lost somebody, it does not remove my peace. Even if something is missing in your life, even if you think, I cannot live without this individual, this was, the, this was the rock of our family, this was the matriarch, the patriarch, this is somebody I never thought would leave me, this was my mom, this was my dad, this was a relationship, this is my boyfriend, this is my girlfriend, I never thought would leave. I never thought I'd have a divorce, I thought it would always work out, and now you're like, God, my peace is gone, and then God comes to you in verse 12, and Jesus comes to the disciple and says, I know you are troubled, but I'm fixing to give you something. So if you don't mind, you can see that all the disciples, I just worked through some disciples that were struggling, trying to follow him where they could see where he was going. They said, show us this, show us that. And Jesus says, I'm not going to show you nothing, but I'm going to show you this. Read verse 27 with me, and now we'll dive into the text. I just want you to gather this first concept. It says, verse 27, peace I leave with you. So you're going to realize he repeats this word 
twice. That's why you're going to see me stay here for a second. I already know that when I stay here, you're going to be like, he stayed on peace for a minute because it's going to take me a while. The first thing he does is the word shalom. Shalom just means a farewell or a greeting. So if you see, you hear people say, shalom, what is he saying? I am fixing to leave. Shalom, farewell to you. I'm gone. But then he says, I leave you. But then he says another word. Same word, but then he says, a, let me say, a setup word for you. Then he says, my peace I give to you. Now pay attention to that. He changes it, right? Then he says, my peace, I'm going to give it to you. The question I have for you quickly is how many of y'all have heard on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, people saying, I'm not going to let people steal my peace? Okay. Then they say things like, I'm going to protect my peace. Then they'll say things like, nobody can take my peace. First, it's not your peace. Second, you can't protect it. Third, it's inside of you. It's not a relationship. So first, let's remove the world's definition. And I'll get there a little deeper because he says, not as the world gives to you, I'll get there. But I want to set the preface so I can help. So at least I can remove your definitions. Peace. The first thing you want to understand is he's giving you is what? It's permanent. Stay here with me. Peace is permanent. So his farewell, he's telling him, he's saying, I'm fixing to leave. So everybody that's fixing to leave in your life might have left. Every person that's hurt you might have left. But he's saying, my peace, they didn't take it with them. Oh, stay with me. The peace that you thought you lost, that relationship you thought you lost, that person that had to go and passed away and went to heaven, you thought, there's no way I can ever find peace. There's no way I could ever stop grieving. God's like, I understand that you will grieve. Remember, we talked about last week, mourning was a right and had its time. But after that time, you even in that time, you still have peace. Because peace was something that was a gift. It was given to you. It was not something you earned. It's not something you made a way for. It's not something you went and found on vacation. It is not something that you found in a bottle of a, in the bottom of a bottle. It's not something you found in a substance. You can only get it through one source, and it's mine, and it's Jesus Christ. and said, that's mine to give. But how did he give it? What did he do to give you this peace that some of us struggle to have? How many of us right now are struggling to even find peace in our life? And you're like, well, Pierre, to find peace if you keep saying the word, and I'll give it to you. Well-being. You're like, you know, there's more to this word, Pierre. I know you said farewell. But the second piece he's saying, this is your well-being. How many of us don't feel well after something happens? And how many of us have confused us feeling well for a fake peace? Like when you finally tell that person off, you're like, oh, I feel peaceful now. <laughs> I got it off my chest. That is not peace. We're not even talking about relational peace right now. So don't worry about that. He said, live at peace with one another. We're not doing that right now. This is just the fact that God inside of you allows you to be well-being. Now, don't confuse that for calm. And don't confuse that for the lack of circumstances in your life. Every time we use this word, for some reason, we talk about removing circumstances. God, I can't wait for I can finally have peace in my life. And God's like, what are you talking about? You're waiting on it. It's still there. It's never left you. I've always given it to you, and not only did I always give it to you, it's permanent. You should be asking the question is, how is it permanent, and what, how can he give it? Permanent, Jesus, only person who can give it because he's the only one who can forgive your sins. Bear with me. The first piece you should want in this life is Jesus removing your sins so you're no longer an enemy of God. Before you were saved, you should have no peace. Your life should have been a hot mess. 
But when Jesus came, even if your circumstances never changed, he removed the fact that you were not at peace with God. So even when he says you are now at peace, even if your relationships in your life falter, your relationship with God is okay. Hear me out. The only way you can have this relationship to be okay, the only way that your relationship with God is okay, the only reason you can pray up to God and he listens to you is because Jesus made peace. So it doesn't matter what happens to other people. See, this is the thing. We put too much bank on other people. The only relationship you're concerned about, the only one who can give you this peace is Jesus himself. So stop worrying what other people are doing in your life. They can keep, they can move around, they can have a jungle gym around you, they can have a circus around you. It could be a hot mess. And Jesus is like, who cares? We're good. It's kind of like your coworkers. They can all get fired, but as long as you ain't fired, what, you, what do you say? I'm good. You see that dude walk past the office and pull him to the supervisor's office, what do you say? Wasn't me. I didn't like her anyways. No offense, we cold-blooded with everybody else, but why aren't we the same way? When all that matters is that we don't get called into the principal's office. We don't get called into our body. God is saying, we good. You're not fired. Uh, So if you don't believe me, I'm just going to read some verses to you. You don't have to turn there. It's also in your notes. You will realize that this was a prophecy of somebody who would bring peace. And there's only one person who would bring it, according to Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, Isaiah 52, 7, Isaiah 57, 19, Ezekiel 37, 26, Haggai 2, 9, Acts 10, 36, Romans 14, 17. All were scriptures that said what? There's going to be somebody who comes that can give you peace. So watch this. Why do we keep looking at other people for it? There was only one prophecy for one man to bring it. There's nobody else that can bring it. And guess what I'm fixing to say to you? Your wife can't bring it and your husband can't bring it. Oh, this one is going to hurt. This is going to sting a little bit. Some of us are looking for relationships only so we can find peace. And God's like, wait a second, I'm the only one who can give it. And you know why you're so hurt when hurt hurt people hurt you? Because you was banking on them to give you something they can never give you. The reason why some of us are in so much pain when people depart and go back to their Lord and Savior, and we're going to talk about that in a second, is because you don't realize that their peace, what they created for your family, was never something that they were job to do. Look, I'm going to say something that's going to hurt me. One day my dad and my mom will pass away. Our job is to carry on the legacy they left, but they did not bring us peace. They may have solved problems in our family. They may have had long family meetings. Long family meetings. And they may have created the lack of circumstance. And me and my brother had to hug it out. Me and my brother had to say, we're sorry. That was great. But in reality, they created an opportunity for us to reconcile, but they did not give us peace. So sometimes we're weeping over people who are now with their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in heaven, having what? Peace. Okay. All right. So messianic peace is the first thing I want you to understand because when he gives you messianic peace, when you experience that you are bound together in the midst of the anxiety of this world, you have an indestructible security in what? Of divine relationship. So even while this destructible world is surrounding you, you're okay because you have this boundness to this relationship with Jesus Christ. Even when your wife and your husband, even when your family, even when you've lost a loved one, even when you didn't get to say your goodbyes during COVID, even when you're like, there's no way I can live in peace. I never got to cry over her. There's no more I got to mourn over her. And God's like, I understand that you need to weep. You need to weep. I wept for you. I understand that. But at the end of the day, I want you to understand one thing. No matter what happens around you, I'm going to give it peace. 
now. You're like, Pierre, okay, you keep saying it. It's repetitious. Well, watch the second part of this piece. is the, After you are saved, then he gives you the what? The Holy Spirit. What's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Say it with me. You got it. Peace. So what is indwelling you right now? Peace. So the question you should be asking yourself is, why do I not feel well-being when something happens with me, even if I have the peace living inside of me? That's why he said it's what? Permanent. It doesn't go anywhere. Why is it permanent? Because the Holy Spirit will what? Seal you for eternity. So when God looks down upon you, when you go up to heaven, he identifies you by your seal, only given by the Holy Spirit, which was permanent. So you should be experiencing permanent peace because it's living inside of you. So you should be asking the second question to yourself, if it's living inside of me, why don't I have it? Why does my wife give me all lack of calm? Why does my husband give me all out of order? Why does these relationships at work always stir me up? Why can't I be well-being when everything around me is not well? And I'm going to tell you why. You're not being led by Galatians chapter 5. You're not walking with the Holy Spirit. You can't experience the fruit of the Spirit if you're not walking with the Spirit. You can't experience peace, love, and joy if you don't what? Are guided by the Holy Spirit. And the only way you can be guided by and led by is if you submit to. Or else you will what? Quench the Holy Spirit and grieve the Holy Spirit. Oh, you're like, Pierre, you got to define those two, and I wish I had time to give you all what that means, but I can tell you this right now. The grief of the Holy Spirit means you know what to do and you don't do it. So that means you know what peace looks like. You know that it's eternally dwelling in you. You know that you're supposed to have joy. You know you're supposed to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do, and you say, mm, I know what to do. I'm not going to do it. The quench means, watch, watch this word, that you see that there's a burning fire of peace inside of you, but you say, you know what, I'm going to live in this turmoil. You're quenching the very gift that God has given you. And God is saying, you are not living in peace because you're choosing not to. Oh, this one hurts. Some of us, we go home and we let people dictate our peace. And God's like, you're choosing not to live in it. Because I've already given you everything you need for this. The Holy Spirit indwells you, gives you the Holy Spirit. It's only something that only God and Jesus, because later on in the verse, he says, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. When does that occur? Do y'all know when that occurs? Right there in Acts. He sends the Holy Spirit, then Pentecost happens, and then what? The Holy Spirit came upon those who believed. So everyone got the gift of the Holy Spirit if they believe. So God is saying, I will send it for you, but then you got to catch this last portion. It says, not as the world. Oh, man. That's why I was trying to separate and and create some difference for you. Because the world can't give you this. Look, let me see how I can lay this out for you. If you got a good babysitter, you ain't worried about them kids. Hear me out. When me and my wife go on a date, we used to drop with my parents, my wife's parents, even if my brother says, I believe in that babysitter. I don't call to check on my kids. They're fine. Now, even if they fall down and bump their head, they're still fine because I trust the babysitter. Now, I want you to get this. The reason why you're not worried about what's happening in your life is because you got a Holy Spirit that's your babysitter. Yeah. The reason why you're like, hey, anything can happen, but I'm more focused on my intimacy with God because he gave me a helper. I can focus on me and the wifey right now because I got this helper. There's this babysitter taking care of my circumstances. I'm okay now. 
But then he says, this world, they can't give that to you. Oh, what does the world even mean? The world is everything in opposition to God. So sometimes we're seeking the very opposite of God to give us something that he, they can never give us. How can they give you something they don't know? You know what they can give you? Temporary peace. And don't, don't, we all know this. It's kind of like the difference between happiness and joy. Can I break that down for you? Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is permanent. So therefore, you can always give what? Elevation and praise to God, even in your worst circumstances, because joy is internal. Happiness is external. So guess what the world can fix? It can fix your external. Why do you think there's so many commercials for it? Oh, come to vacation. Y'all know we ain't got money for that. Oh, excuse me. Let me speak for myself. I know I ain't got money for that. But when you get on that beach and you sip that virgin pina colada, virgin, you don't, don't lie. You feel a sense of peace, don't you? Some of us turn off our phones for the first time in six years. Don't answer emails. We're like, oh, I feel so peaceful out here. Yo, we say it all the time, don't we? Oh, my gosh, when I get to this water, something about this water, something about Galveston water, so dark and murky. <laughs> I just love Galveston. But y'all know, if we get out of Galveston, we act a plumb fool. Some of us can't swim. We be going deep as we can, all the way to our knees. We're like, ooh, this water gives me peace. We go, to the, we go to our hotel rooms, you know, we get to relax. Some of us trying to recreate that, don't we? Don't lie. Some of us went on a honeymoon, we trying to recreate that, not realizing that you can't recreate a temporary peace. Because as soon as you come back home, what happens? You turn on your phone. The emails you forgot about pop back up. The relationship issues you thought were gone pop back up because now you ain't on the beach no more. The stuff you passed over on your vacation that got on your nerves happened right on the flight. That's why people be arguing on the way home. Then, then you look at your phone, you get that Chase account alert saying you went over your budget. And then you realize that you swiped that credit card too many times and that virgin pina colada added up. It wasn't all inclusive. You know exactly what I'm saying. Temporary peace. You get in and out of relationships thinking they're going to give you what? Peace. Only to realize, oh, man, that relationship didn't work out. I'm going to go find another one. Maybe she'll give me peace. We've even changed the criteria of the person we want to meet, thinking if we change the criteria, we'll get more peace. Oh, only if he's not as argumentative this time. Only if she don't do that. Maybe I'll have more. That's not her. That's your intimacy problem. But let me move on. It says, not as the world. The world's in opposition to God. So why would it give you anything that God can give you? Why would the world, if it's in opposition to God, give you something that only God can give you? They don't want to give you that. But what they will do is give you a fake one. Now, hear me out. I'm going to say this last one. I gave you the whole funny jokes thing, but watch this. Even in Augustus, they had a statue, and that statue was about peace. But they can only give you peace with a what? Sword. Hear me out. So what does America promise you? If we get enough nuclear weapons, we'll have a peace treaty. So they can only give you peace if they create war or if the absence of circumstances. Then they'll say, well, we're at a peaceful time in America, but it's all based on what? Politics. So now you have Republicans, you have Democrats fighting each other, trying to say, if you come and vote for me, I'll give you what? Peace. And don't think Christians haven't fallen for it. Oh, we fell for it. We hook, line, and sinker fell for that. 
They, they can't give it to you. Augustus couldn't give it to him. He promised them. And even in the prophecy, I want you to, I wish you had time to this. In Jeremiah 6, 14, it talks about fake prophets walking around talking about, oh, peace, 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 peace be with you. So what are preachers doing this day? Peace, peace, peace. Car, car, car. Blessing, blessing, blessing. You can have this. You can have that. Oh, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. Oprah Winfrey style. I, I'm just going to give them out. And you got fake prophets over here promising you peace when peace was not the problem. Peace was not the removal of your circumstance. It was the presence of God. I can't give you what only Jesus can. We can do counseling session after counseling session. I still can't give it to you. I can only give you Jesus again. Think about that. He ridiculed the prophets for promising something that can never come through a sword. But then you have to ask yourself a question. God already knew that the disciples were going to war, didn't he? He knew. He knew as soon as they got saved. How many of y'all got saved and it got worse? Oh, yeah. When, when he was like, when I get saved, all my problems are going to disappear. That's false. God gives you peace because you knew he knew you would be at war. The, the world does the opposite. They remove war and say we have peace. God's like, no, you're going to have war, so I give you peace. This is what I love about God. He does the opposite of the world. The world promises something they can't give. Let me move on. See, they give you propaganda, oh, but they only have the selfishness, selfishness, bitterness, malice, and anxiety, and they consistently say, oh, we're going to give you peace if you just do mysticism. How many of us, we have people out here doing spirituality things, rocks, crystals, zodiac signs. Some of us are falling for it. We're like, you know, I was born in February. That's my fault. I was in March, so I'm peaceful. I got this crystal at my house. I rub it three times. I feel peaceful. Stop. I burn incense. No, that's just a smell. That's a stick. You light the stick. Nothing about that is peaceful. So they give you mysticism to make you believe you can walk into your house and get peace. If I rearrange my furniture, I'll get peace. If I get more furniture, I'll get peace. They give you what? Propaganda. Then they sell you on commercials. If I could buy this car, then oh, what? I'll have more peace because now I don't have to worry about if I can get from here to there. Then they give you anxiety because now you have to buy a newer car because that car is old. Now, let's just move on. This world can't give it to you. He says, if you have it, your heart should not be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. See what he says, though? You see the difference here? He says, no, I'm not addressing the outside of you. I'll never, the outside is going to, it's affected by sin. It, that, that, that's, that's over. But what I am worried about is your heart. Tell me about your heart. That should be a dating question. I, I, I know you look beautiful, sir. I know you look beautiful, man, but tell me about your heart real quick. Because that, that thing going to fade. I mean, look at me. It faded. My hair faded. Everything gone. It fades. but not your heart. So what was Jesus addressing? He says, do not let your heart, what is your heart? It is your inner awareness. It is where God resides. It is the inside of you that I'm worried about. He says, do not let it be troubled. Now, this is the one that hurts the most. How can he tell them, even though he's leaving them, when they thought he would be what? Permanent. Because even he said what? Tell me where you're going so I can what? Follow you. So they're like, yo, if you're going somewhere, we followed you everywhere else. We're going to keep following you now. He's like, no, I'm leaving, leaving. I'm gone, gone. And he's saying, uh-uh, you can't follow me where I'm going. I'm going to the Father. So then he says to them, but don't let the inside of you be troubled. You think that's kind of contradictory. I was your peace, but now I'm leaving you. 
But he's saying, now nah, you can't do it. Now I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell it nice. Even if you're going through some bad issues and the people that you love the most are gone, you still have to let your heart be right. It's okay to weep. But if you weep and turn bitter, you're wrong. If you weep and don't forgive, you're wrong. So it's okay to grieve. It's okay that they were still struggling with an anxiety of Jesus leaving them. He was their protector and provider. But now he's saying, oh, mm-mm. No, don't. You can't go there. He repeated verse 1 all the way down to verse 27. Do not let your heart be troubled. You will be just fine. The question you have to ask yourself is, do you believe you're going to be okay? Do you believe your marriage is going to be okay? Do you believe if you continue to be obedient to who Jesus is in your life, if your heart stays right, that everything's going to be okay? See, some of us have stopped believing that. So we keep trying to recreate peace so we can force it. We walk back in rooms trying to create another argument so we can force peace, thinking that, that peace is the harmony in the relationship, and it is, but you can't force that. Ah, move on. What does troubled even mean? Trouble means an inward turmoil, a stir up, a disturb. It wasn't that their external was jacked, it was their internal was starting to get messed up. They were unsettled, they were disturbed internally. Then he says, but you also can't be fearful. If I give you peace, there's no reason to be scared. This is, a, this is one I hope you understand. Why are you scared? Why are some of you scared to face life even after you lost a loved one? Some of y'all haven't left your rooms yet. Some of y'all haven't went to counseling yet, therapy yet, because you're scared of what they're going to say. Some of you will say, you know what, I'm not going to move on. And God's like, no, 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 you can't be scared because you don't know the results. Just know that I'm inside of you. You can't control the future. And what he was telling the disciples is like, you're going to, yeah, you're going to face some mess. If you look at the book of Acts, if you look at their lives, they ended, most of them, if not all of them, they ended with being killed. So you can't say, I'm not going to face something. They're all going to face something, but he says, you can't be fearful. You know that same command was given to Joshua after Moses died? Have, he says, you can't have fear if you're going to walk with me. Because guess what? You know why you can't have fear? Because you're going to face something. So let me lay it out for you. If you saved, get ready. Name one thing that went, in your, went perfect in your life. Name one relationship without its problems. Name one person that doesn't have flaws. Just stop. Stop trying to force issues. But you can't have fear at the same time. God didn't give you a spirit of, so why are you living in it? So even if you lost your matriarch, your patriarch, your auntie, your cousin, I understand that you need to grieve, but also you shouldn't fear the future. That's hard, right? I know I'm asking something really hard. I know this is not easy, but I am telling you the truth. Jesus is telling them, I'm going to leave, but you still shouldn't be scared. How many of y'all haven't made a move because you operate in fear? And watch this. I'm going to connect some dots for you real quick. Sometimes fear and logic go together. Hang on for a sec. I'll move on. Sometimes fear and logic go together. So some of us will logically work our way out of making a decision that requires your faith because we're scared of the results. How many of you think if you calculate your decisions enough, then you can figure out the results? So you work over and over in your head how you can calculate what that person will do, what that job will do, and how that money will work. And we're like, if I just overly calculate it, sometimes our calculations are just fear tactics. Let's just keep it a buck because you know who that is? Pierre Cannings. If it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. 
If we ain't got it, we ain't going to use it. If it don't make relational sense where I put my heart on the line again, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to get quiet. Some of us are making fear-based decisions and don't even know it. Some of us are scared to date again. If I'm better by myself because the last one didn't work out. But 20-year anniversary, right? But my kids, they don't get it. They don't get it. I'm not taking you for a reason. Hear me out. If I dropped you off at somebody's house, it was not so you can keep tabs on us. I didn't call you. There is no reason to call and check on me. I am taking care of your mom just fine. But my daughter, she got the taste buds of my wife. We in the car going to soccer game. She was like, Daddy, where'd you take mom? And I was like, it's none of your business. But of course I didn't say that. I said, I took her to a place that I can't pronounce. I think it was Uchi, Uki, Uzi, don't know. I just know it was expensive. Thankful for my wife's delicate taste buds that she didn't eat a lot. And she was like, well, Dad, when are you going to take me? I said, baby, you get that Kroger sushi, the pre-wrapped one. <laughs> that's the one, I, 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 that's $7.99, has a, has a price on it. Some of these things didn't even have prices on the menu. I ain't taking you there, baby. Not, not, I didn't mean to offend her, but I'm also going to tell her the truth. I said, maybe we'll step you up and take you to that one that it goes on a choo-choo train around, like it goes and it starts moving. That's an experience for you. That's probably like $13.99, you get you a little shaggy roll and we keep it pushing. But I'm not taking you there because I want to spend time with your mama. I want to get reunited like it was before the beautiful three kids that we have. And God is saying, if you, if you get reunited, you should be happy for me, not questioning me. Hear me out. Natalia, you, you have no reason, ever since you have no reason to question me or call me or ask me when it's your turn because you should be happy that me and mommy going out. And Jesus is going to turn to them and say, if you love me, you would rejoice that I'm gone because you know where I'm going. So this is the hardest thing I'm fixing to ask you. If you know where you're going and if you know where your loved ones went, you should be rejoicing because you love them. So you shouldn't be asking them, hey, when you going to come get me? And there's no reason to pray to them. They're not Jesus. And no offense, I'm fixing to say something that's a little bit rude, but hear me out. They are not necessarily watching you. God is. Hear me out. I'm not trying to be rude. But I am trying to get you to understand. They're in a better place. You should be happy for them. And Jesus says, there's no reason to be troubled. Why? I'm in a better spot. So Natalia, there's no reason to ask when, I, when I'm taking you. Ever since there's no reason to ask where you are. There's no reason to FaceTime me. You don't have to pray to me. I'm in a better place with your mom. Watch what he says next. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. I'm a going and I'm coming. How is he doing that? I'm going to leave, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit. If you beloved me, if you loved me, excuse me, you would have rejoiced. If you had affection for me, you would rejoice where I'm going. I'm going to say this nicely. Even if people have walked out of your life, rejoice they gone. Because wherever they're going, that's where God wants them. If they're saved and you go to a funeral, I understand you're supposed to weep and grieve. You hear me out? 
But also, if they're saved, you should be rejoicing. I think some pastors say it best. What? Celebrate their life. But what Jesus was also telling them is don't be selfishly wanting me here. Have you ever been to a funeral and saw so much turmoil? Because they forgot the life the person lived and focused on the what? The death. But if you love me, you'll be happy that I'm going back to the Father. This is going to make sense in a second because why would he say you need to rejoice? Why would he say if you had affection for me? Because he was saying at this current time, you're not even loving me by wanting me here. Hear Jesus out. You're not even loving me by FaceTiming me while I'm on a date with your mom. You're not even loving, you're not even giving me my space. I'm fixing to go back to the Father. Now, if you read Philippians 2 in a second, you're going to realize what he was really saying. I sacrificed a lot to be here. Oh, I, I sacrificed a lot. I gave up glory for this. But I get to go back to the right hand of my Father. You should be happy for me. He says, but in this case, you should have what? If you love me enough, you will be excited because I'm not only going to the Father, but I'm completing the mission. Hear me out. You don't have to grieve if that person completed their race. When I die, I pray my wife, if I die young, fine, because what? She can celebrate the fact that I completed my race. The only reason you live with regrets is you didn't do what God told you to do. It's only those funerals I attend, no offense, of those dudes or the ladies that were a little bit young and didn't, didn't necessarily obey their calling, and now they're like, man, I have a bunch of regrets, and they got to have, have to have different types of funerals. But if, if, if people like yourself, and if I die, and I, I, Lord willing, you know, my, I know God's going to take care of my wife. If I die young, just know I did what I was supposed to do. So what Jesus is telling them is, why are you, why are you, you should be rejoicing because if I go, I save you. If I leave, I complete the mission. And on top of me completing the mission, then I go back to my father. You should be happy about that because guess who intercedes at the right hand of God? Me. So when you pray, guess who intercedes for you? Me. You should be happy. You're like, Pierre, how does that apply to my life? Sometimes we want God to do things and we're begging and grieving over things that he hasn't done, that he's doing better things for you. You should be rejoicing anytime God makes a different decision than you want. Hear me out. If you're in the opposite season of your life, praise God. If you don't have the money you want, praise God. If you don't have the wife you want, praise God. If you don't have the girlfriend you want, praise God. If you don't have the husband you thought you'd have, praise God. Because if you're in your opposite season, God is still working. See, some of us are saying, hey, God, I grieve because I want you to do the plan I have. The disciples are saying, hey, when are you going to do the plan that we want? You're supposed to stay here permanently. God's like, if I leave, it's better for you. Sometimes I, I question whether all of us have faith enough to believe that when he does the opposite of what you want, it's still okay. You know what the difference is? Some of us believe more in ourselves than we believe in Jesus. That's hard to hear. It really is. Because I can think of circumstances in my life and situations in my life where I had a better plan than God. I thought I did. I think about all the times I looked at my bank account and had nothing in savings. And every time now I look back and I got a couple dollars in savings now, I realized God was the whole time had a different plan, but he was building my faith. Some of y'all are looking at your circumstances saying, no, there's no way, God. Fix it now. Stay permanently with me so I can, it can make sense. And God's like, mm, it's better if I leave. And I'm going to prove that to you really quickly. I might have to move faster this one, but you're going to get it. His elevation, his return to the Father 
was an elevation back to his glory. Now you're like, well, Pierre, what are you talking about? Philippians chapter 2 would say he what? He let go of his prestige, his statue, his throne to come down to earth to die the death of a criminal, all for you. So him going back to God means that he what? Gets restored back to his glory. So if you really love me, you want me to go back to my glory. If you really love those people who have passed, you would want them to go back to glory. That's a hard thing to say. But if I die, celebrate me. I'm gone. I'm going back to glory. If those loved ones who love Jesus, if those people who completed their mission, celebrate them. They get to go to their father. They get to be reunited. They get to see their Jesus face to face. And I got news for you. They ain't thinking about you as much as you think. Because how could you think about a person when you're in love with a God? Rejoice. Some of those need to turn those tears and start rejoicing. You can still cry, but start rejoicing at the same time. Those relationships you thought were dead, start rejoicing. Those issues in your life that aren't fixed, start rejoicing. Those finances that are not fixed, start rejoicing. Those issues in your marriage that are not fixed, start rejoicing. I'm not saying you don't work on fixing them. I'm not saying you don't get better at them. I'm not saying you don't see God in them. But what I'm saying, while you're working at them, rejoice. Because God got a better plan and he's going to bring you into his glory. The moment you forget your eternal destination is the moment you put too much on your present. Some of us are putting too much weight on where you are now. We pilgrims, we passing, we tense, we moving. You've got to understand that we don't belong here. We're only supposed to be here for a limited amount of time. So if you have that present or future mindset, you know one day you're going to your glory anyway. Some of these problems ain't even big enough to fool with you. If you have an eternal mindset, the problems that you are now thinking are overwhelming, they're not overwhelming if you think in eternal mindsets. But many of us are too worried about our present. Because how do I know that? I'll just read the last part of the verse and see if I can get you right. It says this, I go to the Father for the Father is greater than I. Now, a lot of people have taken that scripture. If you ever read that scripture, Jehovah's Witnesses, some other people, Mormons, etc., will take that scripture and say, see, I told you. Jesus is saying he's not God. We know according to John chapter 1, the same author, we know that he is God, the Trinity. But what was he saying? In this current state of humiliation on earth, God is greater. So while I'm removed from my glory, God is greater. But when I go back to my glory, guess what? And also what he's saying is what? I humbled myself and I allowed God to send me here. So he's greater than I am. Just like the same way I can send the Holy Spirit. We're all equal, but right now I'm functioning. God is greater. I'm going to obey his command. Here's, here's, a, here's a sidestep question for you. If Jesus gets it and obeys even when it limits his glory, how come we don't? Some of us don't make decisions because it's humiliating. How do you apologize when that person's more wrong than you? We've been there. It's because you have this peace that lives inside of you that you're okay apologizing because you know. I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for God's glory. Some of us have forgotten who you do it for. So you stop doing it. You stop walking in the bedroom and saying, hey, that's on me. I lost my cool. Even if that person lost their cool too, I'm going to own that. I'd rather humiliate myself because I'm doing it for God's glory. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to treat you greater. God is greater than me right now. Because I'm choosing to humble myself to the point of coming to the cross and dying for the sake of my sins. Look, if you love me, you'll let me go. 
God left us peace that many of us have misconstrued and misunderstood. And the last thing I want to ask you is just to believe. That's it. I just want you to believe. Because your faith makes a difference in your peace. You got to believe enough to know that God has a plan that loves you enough to get past it. And how do I know that? Watch what he says next. Now, I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. I love this part because he uses the same kind of context when he tells Judas, you're going to betray me. Why? He tells them before it happens so when it happens, you'll believe and knew it was him the whole time. So here's the thing I'm going to tell you, and I promise you I'll conclude with this last point. God has been telling some of us a lot lately. And he's telling you before it happens so that when it happens, you'll know it was God the whole time. So I have to ask, how many things has God been telling you that you've been ignoring? Because if you didn't ignore it, you would believe. Number one. Number two, how many of us believe enough to look back and realize that God was faithful the whole time? He's saying, I'm telling you early, so when it happens, guess what? You'll know it was me. So I'm telling you early that you're going to go through your circumstances. You're going to be at war with people. There's, there's going to be separation. You're going to struggle in your relationships. Nothing's going to be perfect. I'm warning you now, so when it happens, you'll believe. So sometimes these preachers, these old mamas, these old school daddies that are telling you things that you want to ignore, God's like, no, 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 I'm sending them there to tell you my truth so you can believe. So I gave you the Holy Spirit to confirm that truth. I'm giving you, telling you if you love me, you'll want to see me gone. But I'm also telling you, do you believe enough that even in my departure you have faith? Because I'm telling you right now it's going to happen. Stop hanging on to things that I'm letting go of. I'm going to repeat that for you. Stop hanging on to things that I'm letting go of. I'm telling you now, so when it happens, you'll believe. I love my wife. I love my kids. But for some reason, I'll be honest with you, they don't get it. Kids don't get stuff. When I first left, took my wife out for her birthday, went to his Airbnb in Galveston. Fly. Little cottage. Loved it. I think it was more for me than her, but don't, let's don't focus on that. It was, it was for Jesus. And when I, I showed my kids beforehand, I said, hey, this is where we're going. They, they even helped me pick out the house. But when I got there, guess what they wanted? They wanted to FaceTime me. They said, let us see the house. I told you before what was going to happen. You saw me book the same room. But now, for some reason, you still want to see, I told you beforehand. But not only that, I, did, I don't think they get the second part. They don't get at the fact that if me and mommy get some time together, and we don't got all the responsibilities that we have when y'all here, we come back better for it. They don't get the fact that if me and mommy get some date nights where we get to talk about our marriage and focus on us for a second, we don't get interrupted 30 times, it's better for you. They don't understand that if we get time to say, baby, how can I love you better? That's my favorite question to ask my wife when we're on a date. How can I love you better? So I, can love my husband, my, I can love my wife better? And if she asks me the question back and we get a chance to love each other better, that's better for you. I guess I'm trying to get you to understand is when we get away, it's better for y'all three. Because me and mommy, the, the foundation of this family is stronger for it. When Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to go. But you're better for it. Because the foundation of what you believe on, I have to leave so you can have it. So that you can continue on, so that you can carry on a legacy. But if me and mommy don't leave a good legacy, 
You got nothing to stand on. I'm trying to get you to understand right now when Jesus left, he said, hey, if I leave, it's better for you because I get to go reunite with the Father. I get to go back to my glory. I get to intercede on your behalf. I, the foundation that you want, that salvation that you're desiring, that, that fear that you have is gone because I'm going to take it from you because I'm going to forgive every one of your sins. So if I get to get away, it's good for you. But you got to believe it. If you believe it, you'll have peace. If you believe it, you'll love the fact that he's changed your plans. If you believe it and you love him enough to rejoice in his departure, but you got to believe it. Ladies and gentlemen, some of us are struggling with peace. We're tired or fatigued. We don't think we can find it. Some of us are struggling to, to enjoy God's plan opposite of yours. We don't love him enough to trust him to have it. So today I'm just going to ask you some questions. So while you bow your heads and pray, I want you to focus on some things today. How many of us struggle with our peace? Just hear me out. I just want you to spend time in prayer. How many of us have put peace in other areas of our lives that don't belong? How many of us say, I don't have peace, Pierre. I can't find it. That's the first thing I want you to ask yourself. The second thing I want you to ask yourself is, do you love God enough and believe in God enough where the opposite of your plans is okay with you? That you'll rejoice even in your suffering. That you'll rejoice even when it doesn't make sense. you rejoice when God is not necessarily telling you your whys that you want. And you're saying, Pierre, this sermon's for me because I don't understand why he did this. I don't understand why he did this. I don't understand why my life is like this. I don't understand why. And I, I want to experience peace even when I don't understand. I want to experience the love that I have for God because even when it doesn't make sense, I still love him enough to rejoice. So if that's you today, if that's you today, I just want you to start praying to God. Saying, God, I, I don't know where to, I'm struggling. My intimacy was gone. I could tell by my lack of peace. I could tell you that right now I'm struggling. I don't have peace because I lacked intimacy. I know now, but I need to fix it. God, I'm struggling because I know I don't love you enough. Because if I loved you, I'd be rejoicing. That even if it's not matching, I'd be rejoicing. Do I believe? Do you believe today? That even if you've lost loved ones, it's okay? Do you believe enough to rejoice? Because he told you before. I just hope you're listening this time. 